also not currently single. So I just thought I'd put that out there in the beginning. Um, but to be honest, before my current relationship, singleness was the only thing I'd ever known. And if I'm honest with you tonight, it felt like a technicolored season. And that sometimes it was a dream coat, can buy my own flowers, fashionista, high walk. Sometimes it was a wrecking ball. It was a full spectrum of emotions. But God is so patient and God is so kind. So I hope some of my story and my process um, will encourage you today. So I was chatting to my parents this morning and they reminded me of this ridiculous story. I was about five and they found me in the middle of a frog's puddle and they had just told me the story about um, the princess and the frog. And my mom said she watched in utter horror as I began to find any frog I could, get a, could actually catch and tadpole and, and kiss every single one, <laughs> just in case my prince was in there. So have I been single since I've been five or 15? I don't know, but it's been a bit of a while. But I think um, what's super I think significant about that story, and I kind of actually was reminded about it this morning, is that even in the heart of a five-year-old, I knew that relationship was in my destiny and in my future. It's not the whole story, but I knew it was part of it. So I just I hope that today is freeing and encouraging. Awesome. So I grew up in a home with three girls, and what I would love to talk about today is actually started in a story um, with Downton Abbey. I apologize, it's an amazing series, watch it. But it, there was a moment in that first season that T-boned me. I felt like the Holy Spirit absolutely just wrecked my world in season one. We were sitting in the berg and I remember the scene. I'm gonna be honest, I watched it. My sisters continued to eat popcorn. Nobody paused, the birds continued to sing. But I was radically changed after that moment. And to give you context of the series, it's about this family in the UK and they own this massive property and they have three daughters and the whole conflict of the first season is that who will inherit the family home? And that's, that's the big drama. You know, these girls can't inherit it. And then there's this moment in the first season where the oldest daughter is speaking to the newfound heir. They found some rando that was living like miles down the road and now is going to inherit this massive home. And the, the long and the short of it in season one is if she wants to stay in the family home, she needs to marry this new guy. Um, very spiritual, guys. And you're like, I can see you going like, where does the Holy Spirit kick in here? Trust me, it's good. So anyway, we're watching this really girly drama series. And this is what Mary, the oldest daughter, says to this new heir. She says... Women like me don't have a life. We choose clothes, we pay calls, we work for charity and we do the season, but we are stuck in a waiting room until we marry. And I know it sounds super stupid, but it was a sneaky lie in my life. And in that moment, it was like I actually couldn't hear what, it, what happened in the rest of the episode because I realized that, that actually... I had lived under this lie that my life wouldn't have significance and wouldn't start until I was married, and that part of my identity would, would only be expressed and unlocked through marriage and not through Jesus. 
I realized that part of what God had called me to do, I'd actually put on the shelf and I'd gone, you know what? I know that I'm called to create spaces of creativity and peace and home. And I knew that part of that would look like being a wife one day. And I'm excited for that, trust me. It would look like being a mom one day, but I'd forgotten that actually as a single woman, I actually had missed an opportunity. It was like heaven was giving me this, this invitation to step into who God created me to be because it's got nothing to do with my stage of life. It's got everything to do with the fact that God made me to be me in every season. So I realized that I was waiting to play wife. I was waiting to play house, house once I was wife, wife, and that wasn't the case. So if you take away anything tonight, can we be free? Can we be free that actually we're not held back by the season of life that we're in? I realized all of a sudden, sitting in a lounge in the Drakensberg with my family, that I was waiting to plant a connect group when I had a partner. I was waiting to be financially stable when I had a husband to help me. I was waiting to create home when I had kids to fill it. And in that moment, I felt an opportunity that God was saying, maybe there's people that I will bring across your path that if you would just work with what is in your hands, you can create an environment of stability and peace and model creative order and, and create an opportunity for even now for, you to, for me to bring people into your world that maybe I can encounter them. So if there's a title for what I'm going to share tonight, it would be that singleness is not a waiting room. If that's the one thought that, that you go away with, I hope that that would be it. That actually this is an invitation from the Holy Spirit to all those desires in your heart that God would let you know that actually you don't have to wait. Because God has paid for life and abundance in every season of your life, not just the nuclear family. The irony of Mary and Downton Abbey was that the inheritance was her father's and she was living in the home she felt she needed to marry into. And it's, it's super easy to look at that and go like, oh, shame, that was a couple hundred years ago, guys. Don't worry, 2023. Jesus' blood was spilled millennia ago, actually, Actually, Jesus' blood was spilled millennia ago, and he, he, he paid for us to actually access it. We have our status from Jesus, from her dad, not from her husband. She had her, her provision from, the inheritance was hers. And I think that this is something that we can actually step into today. So, moving on, three thoughts that I think help us step into a season well, and I think these, these three truths are, are things that I really savored in my season of singleness, but I think are actually relevant whatever stage of life you're on. So I'd love to chat about these three things, and then I think we move to Q&A after that, Stan. Beautiful. So the three thoughts, number one, friendship, the training ground for intimacy. Number two, identity, an opportunity to step into action. And number three, Jesus, our first love. Alrighty, friendship, the training ground for intimacy. I absolutely love that friendship is an opportunity to model Jesus. 
if we become excellent friends, we become better sisters, we become better employees, we become better bosses, we become better, what else did I say? I had a good note there. We become better leaders. Friendship and the season of singleness is an opportunity to explore friendship in a new way. Friendship is something that's not just about, oh, I'm going to get good at friendship so I can be a great wife one day. 100% true. Friendship unlocks all of, all of life because Jesus was the first good friend. How do we do this? I remember, I remember during my gap year, and we were in a team of people and I got really close with a friend, a friend of mine who I'm still friends with today. And um, I remember there was this moment where I was learning something about friendship. I was learning about a close, deep friend. And there was this opportunity given to this team and she got it, not myself. And I remember thinking I was actually so much more excited that she had got it instead of me, even though I would have loved it. And I remember in that moment realizing that that was love, that I actually loved her. I mean, it sounds like a random thought, but there's something about friendship that teaches us how to love well. It's an opportunity to learn loving in a safe environment. First thoughts, know your ones, your threes, and your twelves. Emotional boundaries. Jesus modeled this so beautif beautifully. He had the thousands that he traveled with, and then he, has, he had his community of 12. He had the 12 people that he did laugh with. He had the 12 people that moved with him, that, that he ate with, he, he did laugh with. We are, we are built for connection, but we're built for healthy connection. We can't all have the same um, level of intimacy. I don't know if you've ever sat on a plane before and somebody starts like pouring out their whole life story. And you're like, this is a little bit much, and I feel like it's actually not, it's actually, maybe it's a moment of the Holy Spirit, but, but relationship and intimacy is earned. It's something because you, you guard the good deposit in your heart, you honor your heart relationship, you walk closely towards it. So you have the community that you travel with, you have the thousands, Glenridge is the thousands. When we sit here in the morning, there's hundreds of people in this room. Yes, it's your community, but you need your 12. You need your 12 that know if you've had a good week or not. Then Jesus had his three, Peter, James, and John. Those three people knew him on a, on a, deeper, a deeper level. They knew when he was sad. They knew him differently to the 12, and that is okay. That is okay. And then they had the one. We've got to learn how to do that well. Friendship is the training ground for intimacy. Because also when you find your one, they don't just get to cut the lines at number one. They actually have to work the boundaries. You get closer and closer until you do covenants. Relationship. So number one, knows you want, know your ones, your threes, and your twelves. Number two, learn how to love and serve someone. If we can be excellent at loving our friends, are they a gifts person? Are they a words of affirmation person? Are they an acts of service person? That's something that is a building block for a relationship that, yes, will help you in your relationship one day, but it's actually something that unlocks how you're a boss to someone, how you serve someone learning how to actually prefer someone else over, over you. Maybe you're somebody that enjoys words of affirmation and all you need is a compliment, but not everybody's like you. It's about maturity, learning how other people receive love, and deferring yourself to others. That's walking like Jesus. And the last point on building friendship is learn how to have fun because fun people are attractive people. And if you wouldn't be your friend, 
nobody else will too. So know your ones, your threes, and your twelves. Learn how to love people and learn how to have fun. Second point, identity, an opportunity to step into action. There's something incredibly freeing about going into a relationship, having settled who you are and what you're called to. Singleness is an opportunity to actually figure that out. There is a space, there is a space you get given to actually work through process that is a gift. And if you are single, particularly without children, you have, you've, you're given the, the gift of time to figure that out. This is an invitation, calling, deal with your stuff. We can't step into what God's got for us and who he's calling us to be until we give him permission to take the things that we're not. He's sitting in heaven and he's saying, you are a daughter of a king. Your dad is a star-breathing God of the universe. You've got to give him insecurity. You've got to give him selfishness so you can step into being a daughter of a king. Because what does a daughter of a king do? She lives her lives for others because she doesn't have a poverty mindset. Singleness. Deal with your stuff. Know who you are. We have to believe what God says about us. Our significance is in his selections, in his selection and no one else's. In Ephesians 1, it says, for he, for he who chose us before the creation of the world, we get so caught up in being picked by someone. And we can have moments where it feels like we don't need flowers because we're buying them ourselves. And then we can have moments where it is a wrecking ball because you like, you don't even have to be that great, but roses would be nice on the 14th. So let's just be free today. But your significance cannot come from that place. Because this is what happens. This is what happens. We, we buy into a lie that somehow when you're in relationship, you're more valuable to God. And if you're not in relationship, that we can do works into God giving us a relationship. Can I free you this morning that if you're single here today, it's not a reflection of your spirituality. Can I free you here today that we not get over spiritual and weird about this. Your relationship status is your relationship status. Full stop. When I'm fully Tyler Page and fully who God's made me to be and I fully believe the Father, I can figure out who I am with someone else. I'm never gonna find contentment in a relationship if I can't find it first by myself. And I think this is a moment that if you don't settle it here, you can settle it in the next season, but it's now an uphill. And there's an invitation tonight to actually find our feet settled on the fact that before the Pacific Ocean was created, God chose you. Before the, the world was formed, God picked you. Before you were single and feeling unchosen and uncherished and unpicked, he picked you. He picked you, he made you, he made a world, and then he made a way to save you. That is the only picking that matters. And when we get our significance in that place, relationship sits in the right place. It's beautiful. We are designed for connection. We are designed for intimacy, but our significance does not come from that place. God's ability to use us does not come from that place.
God is not a system to be played or an algorithm to be tempted. He's a good father. Does he prepare us for what he's got for us? Yes, hallelujah, and every day of the week. Does our relationships status mean that we've arrived spiritually? No. Relationships are good. God loves them, but they can't be our idol and our goal. My third point, Jesus, our first love. So to be really vulnerable with you, a couple of years ago, I um, had a very dramatic airport drive. Um, I just had coffee with a friend, and she was telling me about the latest relationship she was having. And it was tied up with every prophetic bow. It was like Nicholas Sparks could not write stories this good. I'm, I'm, and emphasis on another romance, right? Single Pringle t-shirts over here. I'm like, just one would be nice, Lord. Like, I'm not even going, I'm not even going to be picky. But I, was, I just sat through two hours of this long story, and I'm like being a supportive friend, and I'm like, amazing, awesome, like, and now I have to go and fetch my parents from the airport. Oh, my word, but did I do business with the Lord. I, when I tell you that I sobbed from the south coast to the north coast, my tears anointed the whole highway. Because that's real life. And I felt incredibly unpicked. And I felt deeply lonely. And I felt disappointed with God. And I was like, I'm sitting here, I'm doing all the right things, and she gets the romance. Explain. It's your job. I don't have the answer. Explain. And, and God in his wisdom and kindness God in his wisdom and kindness did feel like another T-bone, but he reminded me of Genesis 22. And there's this moment in Genesis 22 where I, Abraham had many sons, but Abraham, before he had many sons, he actually only had one. He had Isaac. And it was this, this deep promise. God had promised him a son. Context of the story, he was really, really old. It was a miracle that he even had him. Fantastic. Amazing. And then in Genesis 22, God says to Abraham, Kekul, Laka, I want you to sacrifice your son. And that meant kill him, which is not ideal. And it's a really cool story. But basically, Jesus makes a way that when he comes, he's about to be obedient, about to kill the thing that he thinks God has given him, which God did give him, the, the, the embodiment of his dreams, the embodiment of the goodness of God, but he knows God and he's listening to God. A ram comes in, he doesn't have to do it. And what happened in that moment, in that hectic story, is, is the fact that God loved him too much to give him a dream to give him a desire of his heart without freedom. Abraham had placed Isaac as a God above God, and, and, Ab and, Ab and God couldn't have that. He wants to give us the, de the desires of our heart, but not at the expense of being captive and captivated by them. Only he gets that right. You see, God always wanted to give Abraham a son, but not at the expense of his freedom. 
Tonight I feel like there's an invitation to remind us that God is a good father and wants to give us good gifts. In Matthew it says, if, if, a fa- if an earthly father will give his, won't give his son a stone when he asks for a loaf of bread, how much more will, the, will your heavenly father give you the desires of your heart? It goes on to say, seek you first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. There's an invitation here tonight to put God in, our right, in his rightful place. I have an exceptional boyfriend. I really do. Shout out to Mitchell. I get, I get flowers from my office. I get flowers from my home. It's ridiculous. Frankly, the wait is worth it. God is good, end of story. But the point is, he is not Jesus. And God had to make sure that I knew what my source was before I got the gift. Because it's also not a fair pressure on him. Mitchell can point me to Jesus and remind me of who God's called me to be, but he can't be Jesus. And when we say all that thing, we get the desire and the freedom. He loves us too much to give us gifts that are going to bring us into captivity. He loves us too much. He got Isaac at the end. He wants to give us the desires of our heart, but they need to be in their rightful place. Jesus is our first love. Jesus is our source. Jesus is the one that our souls love. I wanna, I wanna declare something over us tonight. Um, and I just wanna say that if you are single here tonight, there is absolutely nothing wrong with you. You are precious, you are choice, and you are chosen. You are the apple of his eye, his dearly beloved, his precious prize, and nothing about your earthly relationship has the significance above the fact that he picked you before time began. His pursuit of you is older than time itself. Having a woman does not validate you as a man, and having a man pursue you does not validate you as being a woman. We are here because God loves us. We build friendships because it unlocks life and it models Jesus. We do identity well because when we deal with our stuff, we actually become an agent for action in our communities. And thirdly, when Jesus is our first love, then the desires of our heart don't make us captive. Thank you very much. this one on yes is Tyler Page has when met Mitchell what a year ago now or something like that has it been a year yeah and how old are you now 26 so there's huge pressure there's huge pressure on particularly women to get married there's a there's a pressure that you're on the shelf there's a biological clock that ticks in terms of having children, which is connected to that. So, um, 
there's huge pressure on single people uh, because somehow we get it. The kind of messaging comes across that marriage is plan A and singleness is plan B, when in fact there isn't a plan A and plan B. Um, you're, whether you're married or whether you're single, you can still count for God. Our trust is what you heard from Tyler Page. So let's just answer some of these questions that were on the, on the slider, if we can. Can? Yeah, whatever, just ask them. Okay, so this one is okay. If our relationship status doesn't mean we are better in God's eyes, why are all of our elders married? Good question. So the church is seen as a family. Okay? And the qualifications for leadership in that family is that you're able to manage your family well. And so there is, there is a sense that the kind of leaders emerge. How do I say this without making it sound like marriages? Put it this way, in Genesis chapter 1, be blessed, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That happens by getting married and having children. If you haven't got that, you don't get married. You don't multiply, Okay. So in one sense, the general rule is that people will get married. But that doesn't define your identity in God. It doesn't define your purpose in God. It doesn't define your assignment and your call in God. Marriage doesn't do that for you. In fact, marriage, marrying the wrong person can disqualify you for the call of God on your life. That's one of the huge things around getting married, is are you marrying the right person that you will both walk into what God has for you. So why are most or all of our elders married, or all of our eldership team married? I'm not sure. But that's the general rule, is that there will be more married in that because there's got to have, know how to look after your family. One of the reasons why we wouldn't have very young elders on the team is because they haven't learned to manage their family. They haven't moved out of home yet, or haven't, you've got to learn to kind of operate in life. So... But if there was a single person that qualified in every regards, they could easily be on the eldership team. And we've had before. Exactly. I've answered that more or less adequately. Um, and then I suppose this one might be just straight to TP to answer. Um, so I think it's yeah, just a general one about meeting people for coffee and dating and friendships and all of those things. Um, so the question is, how do you manage someone's expectations to communicate to them that it's just a coffee and it's not a marriage proposal? <laughs> I did tell Mitchell it was coffee, not my firstborn child, when we had coffee that he drove down um, from Pretoria to have with me. Um, I think that 
friendship, you learn communication and you learn honesty. When you have friends that are your twos and your ones, they love you enough to tell you hard things because they love you enough to step in if you're going to make a stupid choice. So you learn hard communication. You learn clarity if it's not comfortable. And that leads into, hey, I've really loved this coffee with you. I don't know if, just to be honest, like, Clarity is kindness, and you can rip off the band-aid in love. You don't have to be mean. But to be like, to be honest, where I'm at, where I'm at with this, I really enjoyed my, my time with you. I'm not sure at this point I see it moving on anything to anything more than that. Is better than eight months of them pining and mind games and lost the world. It's hard, but life's hard, and kindness is important. I don't know if that's... Guys, one coffee isn't a marriage proposal. <laughs> when you get to number 10, you know there's something going on here. Like, why are, we having, are you having many coffees with me? Okay, what's the, and then you can have the conversation. But let's not lose our minds. Because what it does is it stops you from getting to know people that could be one or two coffees down the line. Because there is an expectation, and then people are like too scared to ask you out for coffee. Or, or because, oh, what does she want? Or what does he want? It's just a coffee. And when it becomes more than a coffee, clear is kind. <laughs> be clear. And actually, you know what? You're a great friend, but that's all I want to be with you. Beautiful. <laughs> and then you stay friends, because everybody knows. You stay in the friend zone. Exactly. Keep myself in the friend zone. Is there another question? Please, please do that. I mean, I think Nick and Jan are going to cover this next week in the, in the relationships kind of side of things. There was a book years ago by Joshua Harris called When I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And the point of the, the discussion at the time, this was like 20 years ago, was the idea that when you got into a relationship, you, 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 you didn't just aimlessly take somebody's heart and take them through a journey and then dump them. Like, there's got to be some purpose to what you're doing. There's got to be, listen, what you're doing is you, you, you're getting to know somebody to know if you could marry them, and then eventually you get to the point where you know whether I should marry them, okay? But to get to know whether you could marry them, you get to know them, and you kind of, there's different ways of doing that. You've got to get to know people. That's why home groups and our groups and different groups and, and Forge and all those sorts of different places are great places to get to know people. But don't stop getting to know people because you're worried about them taking your intentions too far or vice versa. Anyway, next one. Getting there, getting there. Is there another one? Yeah. Yeah, there's lots. <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay. So this is, this is actually... I suppose this might be more of a relationship question, actually. But, um, yeah, I suppose just kind of... So the question is, if your relationship with God is being overruled by a person, which means that your relationship with God is being deprived, how do you work that out? So, if being with a person is overruling and depriving your relationship with God... How do you work that out with, this, with that person? Don't be with them. <laughs> Relationship with God, number one. If this person is taking, 
where, where the Bible says this in Ecclesiastes about friendship. When the one falls down, the other one helps you up. When, the, when you're cold, the other one helps you uh, find life and, and warmth, etc. And then it talks about a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Friendships are meant to take you towards God, not again, away from God. If they don't take you towards God, cut them out your life. You, you don't need to be friends. They're going to take you away from God. Your priority is the Father. If you, and that's why, friends, we're going to have to get old school around this. When you marry unbelievers and you get into relationships with people that have not got the same value system as you, they end up taking you away from God instead of toward God. Be very careful. Be very, very careful. And don't quote the one or two exceptions where that person got saved because of the person that, that um, you know, come here, there's these exceptions and these amazing stories and you make that the norm. The norm is not that way. The norm is they take you away from God. When you dilute that, it takes you away from God. We just had an example recently where a friend of ours, two friends, two lovely, lovely people, and um, our friend said, oh, I really hope he's going to be a better husband than he is boyfriend to this girl. And Stan and I just said, oh, my word. That is the most terrifying statement we've heard. So they're hoping he hasn't, I mean, he's, he's a great guy, don't get me wrong, he really is, he's a great guy. But he doesn't love Jesus. And this girl knows Jesus. And they're hoping that by getting married, it's going to be better for her. He hasn't been a great boyfriend to her. And our friend was saying, oh, I really hope that he's going to be a better husband than boyfriend. Stan and I were just saying, oh, my gosh. That is terrifying because it's not going to work like that. Actually, when you take the step over the line of covenant, it's going to get worse because then it's just harder and now you can't get out. So if any of your friends are in that place, tell them to cut and run while they can because once you've stepped over the line, you can't. So, yeah, don't think it gets easier. Once you've stepped over the line, it doesn't. The Bunsen burner just gets turned up once you've stepped over the line. If you're a good friend, help them. Don't say, I hope, she's going to be a, I hope he's going to be a better husband than, than he has a boyfriend. And keep that to yourself. A true friend would go and say, I think you're making a mistake. Not in, not in love. With truth. Not, not being terrible. Not because you're jealous. That's not a good motive. I'm talking about as a friend. Is there another question? There? Yeah. Just... Um, I don't know how many more we can. Should we just do one more? Yeah. There's, there's quite a few relationship questions that Nick and Jan will also be able to answer next week, yeah. um, which will be good. Okay, so this one is for Tyler Page. Does the one exist? Wouldn't you love to know, Mitchell? Um, <laughs> I think, I think what's, what's super important with this language of the one is it actually comes out of Greek mythology. So it's actually, it's a secular paradigm that's come into thinking that we don't even realize it anymore. So the story goes that Zeus, I don't know, the main, main dude god, um, had people, but people with these like intersexed man and lady 
beings. And then the, the, the Greek mythology story is that the Greek gods split them so they wouldn't be as powerful and put them on the earth and they had to find their missing half to, to have significance. And that's actually where the thinking comes from, that there's this perfect missing half that will unlock significance and power. That's not Jesus. Um, does God love us? Is he going to fall off his throne if you marry the wrong person? Is there a wrong person? Please, the providence of God is so much bigger than that. Everybody on the planet in some way is the worst person on the world for you. <laughs> Humanity is about figuring it out and figuring out relationship, figuring out identity, figuring out God together. Nobody's going to be perfect for you. Brilliant. Love that. Very good. Just to say this, in the Jewish mind, marriage was of a very high value. Very high value. And, and, and the reason why that was so is it was a status symbol. It was a prosperity. It was a sense of when you have children, there's abundance, there's together. You kind of create, you know, it's like you, there's the sense of a family line being generated, uh, the furtherance of your name. There's a retirement policy in place, your children. Children, the more children you have, the more, the more insurance you have going forward. Exactly. That's why Paul had five. <laughs> and then the Old Testament people of God, the more people you had, the more numbers you had, the more secure you were, like you had an army. You know? But Jesus comes into the fold, and I would say probably across all religions, and he re-nuances your life with God and repositions singleness and marriage in its rightful place. Jesus did that. He affirmed single people. Because what he did as he said, God, not your family is your hope. Exactly what Tyler Page has said. That your future is guaranteed by God, not by your family. Which is what Tyler Page has just said. And God provides for you with a new family. God provides you with a new family. Do you get it? It's like, this is not, this is not plan A, plan B stuff. And then people ask, but Lord, I've been trusting. Surely if that's God's plan, if that's God's will, please, I don't know why. If I was God, I could tell you, but I don't know. We're not God. I don't know why not you and why somebody else. But what we do is we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, as Tyler Page said, and we walk with him. And we allow the benefits of what it means. The Bible says this. It says when you are married, you get preoccupied with your husband or wife. But when you're not married, you can be preoccupied with Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It says that. That's not the reason. The problem is, is people then come with all sorts of questions. Oh, the reason why you're not married, I've actually got some of them written down. The reason why you're not married is because you're not satisfied with being alone first. You've got to learn to be satisfied with being single first, and then you'll bring somebody special into your life. So what happens is you constantly think, well, am I not satisfied with God? That's, God is bigger than all of those things, friends. As though God's blessings are earned. 
That's bad theology. What about this? Well, you're just too picky. Well, maybe you are. But God's not frustrated by your fickle whims and needs, and God's bigger. Don't find condemnation in any of that. As a single, you can commit yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord's work, which the Bible does say. But again, God's bigger than that. Don't let those things put condemnation on you and put restriction on you. Enjoy what you have with God. Enjoy the assignment that He has for you right now. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and get on with it. When the Spirit of God fell in Acts chapter 2, it fell on all people. Children, fathers, mothers, singles, marrieds, all people. It, it fell upon you. So actually we can all get on with what God's called us to. It doesn't matter whether we're married or not. Please don't let your marital, marital status determine what you can do for God and what you can do in God. These are all wrestles that we have in God. Enjoy the simplicity of single life. Enjoy it. Serve. As soon as you get married, your time reduces. Then you have kids, it reduces exponentially less. Just enjoy the moment. Serve God, His people, and enjoy the friendships that He's going to bring. I loved what Tyler Page's three points were absolutely brilliant. That's good, guys. So we're going we're gonna to end the session there. And then, uh, well done, Tyler Page. Outstanding. Very, 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 very good. And uh, ladies, please, I'm saying ladies because it is pressure on ladies. Please don't rush to get married and marry the wrong person. I don't even know how much to tell you this. I'll say this again. I've said it a million times. The pain of getting married to the wrong person is far greater than the pain you feel of being single. You can't even compare the two. Make sure you marry the right person. Make sure you wait. Make sure you wait for the right person so that you can become the person that you call to be because together in your oneness, you'll find God together. Okay, bless you guys. Well, what we're going to do is I've got one or two slides so the 